Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Manchester Weekly from the Mail. I'm sitting in the Mills newsroom with Molly Simpson, our staff writer. We're not having Daryl on the podcast this week because he has urgent business to attend to. And this is Molly's first ever podcast. So welcome, Molly. Thanks. It's good to be here. Molly, you started two years ago. Your first day as an intern yeah. was two years ago. It was up two years ago you came into the office for the first time. Yeah, it was my first day as, a, as an intern. Take me back to that moment because it was just Danny and I in the office, wasn't it? It was, yeah. It was a lot more there than it is now. Like We had a few plants, maybe three desks. and um, It was before my big plant phase began, I think. Yeah, before it was like a, a jungle. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was... It was so sunny and like felt like such a welcoming office. And I remember feeling so excited. Like, okay, this is my first ever journalism internship. Yeah. Nice. Great ever since. And you had actually been writing for us for a while before that, because yeah. right when I started the mill, you were actually one of the first people who got in touch and said, I'd like to write something. I think probably one of our, possibly our first ever outsider piece, not he's not by me, mm, would have been your one where, what did I do? I sent you to like um, parties at uni. What, what was the piece about? Yeah, it was about Freshers' Week in Manchester because um, it was lockdown during the time and um, students were having this odd experience of moving in with strangers and mm. trying to have this formative experience of going out partying when they really couldn't. Mm. So um, you sent me out to document that experience with like a, a little drinks budget, so um, <laughs> it's a good first commission. Started with a drinks budget, and it's still going on with the drinks budget, <laughs> like this week, um, this week's Irish pub, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But this week, yeah. Um, in today's podcast, we're actually going to start in Oldham because we've got local elections coming up in Greater Manchester in two weeks across Greater Manchester. But there's a particularly important election happening in Oldham. It's all-out elections, so um, all of the council seats are up, which always means there's more drama, more can go wrong for the leading parties. Um, all-outs are always where like the, the tension is the highest. Listeners to this podcast will know quite a bit about Oldham politics because we've covered it several times, about Raj Amir, about the conspiracy theories, about the ideas about grooming gangs and cover-ups and all that kind of thing. Two council leaders have been seen off um, in the past two local elections. Um, conspiracy theories have, have been a feature of, of Oldham's politics. Molly, you've been in Oldham recently. I think you've made a couple of trips, including you had a day with Labour candidates in Failsworth. Who were you hanging out with and, and what did you see there? Yeah, so I was out with um, Pete Davis in Failsworth West. Um, he's a Labour candidate um, and he used to be Sean Fielding's agent back when Sean Fielding was, was the leader of the council. Um, so I guess my question was going out in Failsworth, are these themes around um, shadowy cartels that you mm. know control the town? Is this a theme that's still cropping up in, in the elections? Um, readers will remember that, that in Failsworth, that's where Sean Fielding lost his, his seat a couple of years ago. Mm. So um, it felt like an important ward to, to revisit. I think um, what struck me about this is it's still going to be a really tough battle for the Labour in um in Failsworth, but that might be helped by the fact that in the Failsworth Independent Party, you've got this kind of like mm. um people's front of Judea situation. <laughs> <laughs> um they've essentially splintered. So oh. on voting day you'll have this choice between like 
um, independent candidates for fails work and the fails work independent party. Oh, wow. Right. That's very people's front of Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that is because in Failsworth, originally, you had this kind of like independent movement in politics that we've seen in other places like Bolton and mm. um, seen it in Bury now, where people start saying the main borough is too nice to like the big towns, so too nice to Baltimore, too nice to Oldham, whatever. Or, the, or they're not they're not giving enough love to like our town. So you get this like Failsworth first sort of mentality. That I think there's a bit of a sort of... Um, race element to it as well sometimes you've got a very very white yeah. area like Failsworth and feels maybe like some people in Failsworth might feel like um the borough of Olden is sort of favoring the Asian community or that that is I think a bit of an undercurrent that you sometimes get mm. um what is the what is the kind of fight that someone like Pete Davis Pete Davis is a Labour candidate he's trying to take Failsworth back what's he hearing on the doorstep because there was a there's a bit in this piece that you're writing where you overhear another candidate getting asked about grooming gangs, right? Like, what are you, you going to do to investigate? Yeah. What kind of things is someone like Pete Davis hearing on the doorstep in a place like Bale? Um, he, we weren't actually canvassing, but um, I think for him, it's about, the challenge has been about um, not only kind of recapturing these Labour voters who they lost in massive numbers to the, these independent parties that, that you mentioned, but um, capturing these like undecided voters, like a, a huge tactic of the, with independent party was to target voters who were kind of on the fence about who they were going to vote for mm. and say you know this is what labor hasn't done for your town and this is what we can do and yeah like the the voting you mentioned that was in Royton north and okay. i was out with a couple of labor candidates there okay um, and what was that what did you hear that exchange i did i overheard it when i was i was on the pavement um so there's this young girl this young blonde girl and she was talking about um, the grooming gangs and was saying to this Labour candidate, Steph Shuttleworth, you know, mm. are you going to investigate it? Are you going to investigate it? Mm. Quite like insistently. And, and she sounded quite panicked. Um, yeah. So I guess what that kind of showed me was that, you know, this isn't just something that plays out online. This is something that, that young voters are, are worried about, especially I think for young female voters, maybe young, young working class girls, these kind of conspiracy theories. Yeah. Mm instill a bit of this fear in them and um that's going to be a challenge for labor in this election particularly definitely you also went to meet amanda chatterton who is the leader of oldham council um and she's only been doing it a year because obviously arusha was doing it until she lost her seat sean yeah. fielding was doing it until he lost his seat but amanda chatterton is now um the council leader um does she sound confident about labor holding on to oldham yeah, I think she was optimistic. Um, she said something which I found quite interesting about the Tories and the independent parties, which was that they've got nothing positive to contribute to mm. Oldham, and these people have absolutely nothing positive to say about Oldham. Um, and she thinks, as in, as in, they're running very kind of negative, critical campaigns, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and um, she thinks the kind of um, messaging around, you know, the problems at Oldham's Oldham's had in the past around mm. sexual exploitation has like cast this long shadow mm. um and do you think she, people are starting to see that that this kind of negativity is mm. is maybe turning people the other way um mm. I mean having said that you know from the reaction I I heard from a voter in Royton North I I don't think we've completely drawn a line in the sand under this mm. this kind of political culture in Oldham mm. um so she was realistic you know and, and she was kind mm. of pragmatic and saying like I think I've left a good legacy behind me um mm. if i do go so yeah. yeah so she thinks she might lose her seat 
Yeah, she was very like um, open about saying, you know, if I do get in, if I don't get in, oh, right. that kind of cropped up a few times in our conversation. This right. like ambiguity, yeah. which is yeah. interesting. It's just interesting because Oldham's got such a different political culture than other places. Just mu- it mm. seems much more heated. It's got yeah. all this online stuff. You've got these massive local Facebook groups. Yeah. And um, you've got the Rajamir element, which I think is a relatively small thing, but it, it, some of the ideas, I think, seep through into other bits. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a really interesting election, and hopefully you'll be there on election night to um, see what actually happens. There are local elections taking place across um, Greater Manchester on the 4th of May, as I said. And in particular, there are these all-out elections where every single councillor is up in Oldham, in Bolton, in Stockport, in Wigan, in Trafford, and in Tameside. Now, staying in Oldham, um, there's another big story there that you reported on recently. And given that this is your first podcast and you're joining the pod for the first time, <laughs> I thought it'd be good to talk about it, even though it's not sort of breaking news. You went to the last ever night at the Oldham Coliseum, and you had been reporting for a couple of months before about the Coliseum sort of end game, like it didn't get the funding from the Arts Council, mm-hmm. um, the building's crumbling. Mm-hmm. Um, it was clear that like things were drawing to a close, but then they announced it's going to be their last ever night. It was a Friday night. You went there. What was it like? It was really sad. Um, I'll be honest. I um, I felt quite detached from it, which I think you can do sometimes as a reporter, mm. being in an emotional situation. Not because having... everyone else was so emotional. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Like there were times I'd approach an, an actor or mm. someone who'd worked in the theatre's outreach project with like Roma and Gypsy communities. Yeah. Um, and they would just start tearing up and that's mm. how they, they were feeling. I thought, okay, yeah, I've got to be really careful here. Yeah. Um, the show itself was was great fun. Um, there was lots of comedy, lots of um, really beautiful performances, um, a lot of laughter in the audience. Mm. Um, got the sense I was like sort of outside of a lot of inside jokes at times, which is funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was angry as well. I think people felt, very angry about what had happened to mm. their theatre, their much-loved theatre that had mm. been around for 135 years. And, and you could sort of sense that sometimes, mm. this kind of like yeah. tension. And there's some anger about the council because some people feel like, well, the council should have found a new venue for their big local theatre mm. um, a long time ago. There's also some anger at the Arts Council because ultimately the Arts Council fund, subsidise most you know, institutions like this. They pulled the rug. Mm. Um, in your piece you also I think like showed that there's been a lot of leadership change there's been a lot of changes of leaders there there's clearly been some not entirely ideal kind of leadership of of the Coliseum for sure so there are loads of things going on but something that was really interesting in your piece is when you spoke to someone from the Arts Council you basically asked them to justify their decision what did they tell you about why the Oldham Coliseum wasn't getting funded yeah, so what they would tell me um, was that for this um, application for the next portfolio round of funding, mm-hmm. um, the Arts Council had very serious doubts about the case of funding the Coliseum. Yeah. Um, I'll read the quote I got from Jen Cleary, the Combined Arts and North Director. Yeah. Um, the application, we feel, didn't make a strong case against our criteria for funding and also presented quite significant risk in terms of public investment. Mm-hmm. Um. So what specifically was wrong with the Coliseum? You know, mm. they're not, the Arts Council doesn't tend to um, go into detail in case it affects the mm. future commercial viability of a theatre right, or, right. 
for an arts venue, but um, they did, you know, they did stress to me that they felt that this application was was very, very risky. Yeah. So. Which was probably partly to do with the building, maybe partly to do with the leadership. I think that's the impression I got, yeah. Yeah, as yeah. well. Interesting. Now, because we mainly send you to report on stories about things closing and dying <laughs> and the emotional outpourings of great institutions in their last final, uh, final breaths, <laughs> the other one you've done recently was to go along to Fiddler's Green, this, this, this pub, this mm. Irish pub in Leventium. It's a much-loved Irish pub. It's been there for ages. It's a very atmospheric little place. Tuesday night this week was its last ever night. Yeah. Um, take us there. What was it like? Oh, it was it was delightful, honestly. Um, I turned out around 7 p.m., like the sun was shining. Mm. Um, you approach the pub in Leventium, it's right outside the station, and mm. everyone's out in the street smoking and like running between the, the bookies and the pub to put bets on the horses or the football. Mm. Um, there's pints of you know, Guinness around and lots of laughter. It's it's a really lovely place and it's kind of like emblematic of the irish community and they're like okay you know you're you're a stranger and you're in our mm. our regular place and we're all really sad but yeah like we'll, mm. we'll welcome you in and we'll, we'll chat to you were you like the outsider and everyone else there was like the people who've been going for 30 years yeah for sure for sure it's yeah <laughs> okay and um were people really sad i mean did it feel like a different type of evening than if it had just been like a regular evening at a pub yeah, definitely. Like you, you heard a lot of people saying, just like, where are we going to go now? Like, yeah, I yeah. think really, people really knew. And, you know, that's not to say Leventine doesn't have a great variety of like pubs yeah. and bars. I, I personally think it does. I love Leventine. But yeah. um, there's something particular about Fiddler's Green that's, um, yeah. it's the kind of place where you do know everyone if you're part yeah. of that community. Yeah. Um, you go in and you can sort of start talking to anyone. And something a regular pub goer called Alex told me while I was there was that, you know, I was like, oh, sometimes I go to these other bars and pubs in Leventium and mm. you, you don't know who anyone is and mm. people are always changing and mm. some they're there for a bit and then they leave and move somewhere else mm. and you don't really feel like you can talk to them or, or that you know them or have stuff in common with them. Yeah, which is quite like a theme of like Manchester changing generally is like sure, you get yeah. areas like Leventium that traditionally quite working class and then you get new younger people who are more middle class and who, you know, university graduates or work at the university or whatever. Mm. And they will tend to come and live here for two years or three years and then move somewhere else, maybe move to Charlton or whatever. Whereas some of the older communities in these Manchester neighbourhoods are uh, much less likely to be moving around, much more likely to have lots of relatives living in the same place. And therefore this idea of like, we know everyone and there are these local places where we all hang out, like that represents a declining world in a sense like yeah. not just in Levensium, but like in Ancoats or um in lots of areas that have like rapidly sort of gentrified Levensium is like very quickly gentrifying isn't it oh, like definitely. you know it's got bike cafes and, and and all the rest of it yeah why is this pub closing it's clearly like a much loved institution why is it closing um well the owners um Bridie and, and James they've been here since uh, 1990 um they've been working 7 days a week so 11 a.m. to midnight uh they're 65 now and they were saying they they want to retire they want to spend time with their grandkids and, and they want to you know travel as well mm-hmm. and i think part of it closing might be to do with you know generational shifts as well the kids don't want to take on the family pub in the yeah. same way that previous generations might have done mm-hmm. um so it tells us a little bit about like 
how people in Manchester are changing as well, which is interesting. Yeah, you do get this also like in the Chinese community, you'll have like place yeah. in Chinatown that like the kids don't want to take over because the kids have like flown the nest or like they've gone further than like the previous mm. generation would have gone. It's like your kids don't any longer just live next to you and do a similar job. They're now like in Australia or they're like going to university or whatever. So when yeah. we did that piece about the decline of Chinatown in Liverpool, that was a big theme of, of just like, well, my kids don't want to take over the business. So yeah. We've got some audio from your trip to the pub, don't we? We do. We do. We have some um, ambient pub noise and we're going to hear from as well um, Alex, who I met alongside his uncle Stephen, his friend Dylan. And they told me a little bit about what Leading Team is going to lose when um, Fiddler's Green goes. Well, we, we don't actually know where to go next. <laughs> yeah. No one knows where to drink. <laughs> you know everyone's face when you walk in. Yeah. 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 The other bar down there, all the faces change all the time. And you don't really know who to speak to. You can't stand there on your own or with, with whoever you come in. But you can speak to anyone in here. Hello, hello, the other Irish fellas are actually being Really? Because yeah. of this? I mean, it's, it's an element of it. Now, there are a few other stories we want to round up quickly. One of them is about Manchester City, happens to be the team that you support. Mm -hmm. um, they. They obviously play in the in, in the Etihad, which used to be the Commonwealth Stadium. And it's always seemed to me like it was a little bit smaller than you'd expect of like the team that's winning the Premier League every year and, yeah. and, and semi-finals of the Champions League and stuff. They are trying to now address that, aren't they? They're trying to grow it. Yeah, they're adding in a huge upper tier, increasing capacity from 53,000 to 60,000. Mm -hmm. um, the whole uh, proposed expansion, which they've now sent to Manchester City Council, it sounds like, quite imposing and, and mental it's like mm. a maybe a 400 bed hotel and a new oh. sky bar and like a stadium roof walking experience not sure what that is and they're kind of saying obviously man city have always said that their project isn't just about the football it's about developing east manchester around them they are saying that this project also plays into that right yeah they're saying it's going to bring in jobs the argument is that um this will be a huge boon to the area you can they expect to see bars cropping up around the stadium mm. and maybe you know shops and mm. hospitality in the same way that we've seen that develop in Old Trafford yeah. um yeah. so yeah that's the that's the case I think forward so um and I think they're also kind of trying to beat Old Trafford because Old Trafford has old school bars and pubs and fish and chip shops and stuff but it doesn't have like a modern fan experience or like a fan yeah. zone or whatever I think that City are kind of trying to steal a march of it and be like we're going to be the ones where like People want to hang out around the ground with like modern facilities. For sure, yeah. Um, another story relating to Man City um, is on the Man City badge, which I'd never really thought about, is a ship. Mm -hmm. And there's also a very similar looking ship on the United badge. And there's also one on the council, like on the actual Manchester badge. Now, I had never thought about these ships before, but I guess for a landlocked city that doesn't have like, isn't on the coast, it is kind of weird that everything's got a ship. <laughs> it turns out these ships... The reason the clubs have them is because the city had the had had the had the badge, and Simon Hattonstone, who's one of the top writers at the Guardian, he has written a piece with under the headline "Abandoned Ship Does This Symbol of Slavery Shame Manchester and Its Football Clubs." Um, he he is kind of drawing attention to these ships, and he is saying, "Look, this isn't about the ship canal, because." People say it's about the ship canal, but actually these badges were, this badge was being used by the city long before the, the ship canal was, um, was created. So um, can you give us a, a taste of his piece? What's he saying? 
Sure. So this is great quote from the piece, which I think is worth reading. Um, and that reads, the ship has nothing to do with football and everything to do with the business from which Manchester made its money. The product of slavery became so subtly embedded in our culture that we celebrated it in our club badges, even without realizing it. Yeah, so kind of interesting argument because this isn't about a slave ship, obviously. It's about a commercial ship, and obviously a lot of Manchester's commerce involved um, slave coffee and, and other industries that were linked to the, to, the, to the slave trade. So I would say the reactions I've seen so far to his piece are not very positive. I mean, I, I've seen, you know, we, we tweeted out and we got about half a dozen people being like, this is woke nonsense, whatever. And we don't normally get responses like that to stuff that we tweet we out. No. So that was like, I don't think people are loving it in Manchester. I mean, there might be some people who, who support this idea, but I would be very surprised if there became a widespread movement to get ships off logos, particularly because like, the clubs have us in a sense like a bit of remove from the, the city badge because they just basically you know copied the manchester badge the manchester one you know it is sure it is about trade but like if you were going to try and erase um symbols of of of, of manchester's industrial revolution industrial sort of um prosperity i mean you'd need to knock down the building that we're in the royal exchange uh, you'd need to basically erase most of the city centre. So maybe a, a ship thing is, you know, in a, in a badge is different. But to be honest, I, di- I didn't, um, I didn't one hundred percent get the piece. Or, or maybe I like, I'm not, I wouldn't maybe be giving something like that as much thought as it seems to be getting. <laughs> I could be wrong about that. If listeners think that this is actually a huge thing that deserves uh, long reads and, and 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 whatever, then um, do get in touch. There's, there was some pushback in the piece from Graham Stringer, who obviously used to be the leader of the city council, and now he's an MP. Um, he said in the piece, I don't think there's any evidence that the ship on the Manchester coat of arms has anything to do with slavery. And I think the campaign of the Guardian, and he, I think there he's talking about the campaign to like apologise for links to slavery. And oh, the Cotton yeah, yeah, yeah. Is besmirching a pr- rather proud history of radicalism that Manchester has got. I actually disagree with Stringer on that. Like, I don't see how it's besmirching it. Like, you know, what the Guardian's doing is actually bringing some interesting stuff to light. And like, mm. um, I enjoyed some of their stories and stuff. So I, I don't, I don't agree with Stringer there, but I, mm. I don't, so far, I don't really get the ship thing. I mean, other than like interesting little point, I think maybe it's a, like a sort of mention it in passing in a newsletter type <laughs> level thing. But um, yeah. clearly there are some people who, um, I think there's someone who wrote into the Guardian who, who said that they, they thought the ship should be removed. So mm. we'll see what happens with that. On a very, very different note, just to switch from like serious to incredibly not serious, um, it can sometimes be frustrating when you're reading like an MEN story and there's some sort of claim in the headline that you like have to click on the story to know what it actually means. Like a classic one would be like their football stories will often be like two, the two Man United stars who let down the team on Saturday. And obviously they don't name them in the headline like any other you know website would. So you have to go and click and find out who was it who let down United. But there was, um, what you normally do is you read the article. Sometimes it doesn't deliver on the headline. Sometimes you're a bit angry. You, ha- you have a go at yourself for reading the MEN. Sometimes people go on Reddit and they go like, I can't believe the MEN's done another clickbait thing. One person, one woman has gone a lot further than that. Um, let's listen in to this video that she made. She's a comedian. She's an influencer. Let's yeah. listen to what she, uh, the video she made on TikTok. 
Apparently there's this village that will add 10 years to your life but has one big downside. I read the whole article and I couldn't find out what it was. Then I asked the journalist, but she didn't reply, so I got a taxi there instead. Place to go to. Yeah, it's fine. People there like live ten years longer than everyone else. Yeah. I thought I'd just go there and get a bit of ten years added to my life. <laughs> There's like the one big downside, but it wasn't clear what it was. Oh, the weather problem. Yeah, but like the weather's bad everywhere, so can't be that really. I'm just going to find out what the downside is for doing a bit of an investigation. My photorealistic microphone and I went into the local hardware store to investigate. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows today that if you live in this village, you get like an extra 10 years of life. Mm -hmm. I've just seen that. You see, I thought if I came here today, I might get an extra 10 years, but I'd lose it by being here. So. Yeah, so there was one big downside as well. Mm -hmm. Ominous. It said that it was bad weather sometimes, but that's just ignorance. You do get a lot of snow. Oh, snow. Oh, maybe it's snow. I like snow. So Molly, if people don't get it just from that clip, what is this about? <laughs> yeah, this really made me laugh. This is a girl called Zoe Bread. Um, she's a TikTok influencer. She read an MEN article headlined, The Greater Manchester Village, which will add 10 years to your life. But there's a downside. <laughs> what, what's the downside? <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> there's nothing um, in the news that suggests there is a downside. So she was like... So was there literally nothing in the piece that justified the downside bit at all? Well, I was reading, rereading it earlier and I found a bit that was like, oh, maybe the air quality could be better, but I don't... Oh, right. Yeah, there was no, like, obvious factor. Um, this is about Saddleworth uh, more, by the way. It's this delightful village in, in Oldham. Um, so Zoe headed there to see if she could add 10 years to her life. Um, she's had a very funny journey with the, the taxi driver where... She was asking him about, um, you know, what's great about the village? What, what could the downside be? Um, and he was saying, oh, you know, maybe the snow. Um, eventually she got so bored that she just turned around and left. Um, but yeah, it's a really funny TikTok. Even if you're not a social media addict like me, I, I do recommend watching. I'm not even on TikTok, but I enjoyed it. So <laughs> someone, someone shared it on Twitter. There you go. Um, it was good. It was very funny. Um, so... Little bit of internal news. We always try to take people inside the newsroom, tell them what's going on. I think the big thing this week was that our sister newsletter in Liverpool, The Post, got to 1,000 members, Woo which now means that we've got, um, obviously, 2,000 in Manchester. We've got, like, 1,500-ish in Sheffield and 1,000 in Liverpool. Mm. And you actually played a big part in that because we got off to a very slow start in Liverpool. People were sort of reading the stories, but they weren't really paying. You went to Liverpool for like five months and like really, really got to know loads of people and got the whole thing going. Now it's run by Jack Wilson. So how does it feel to see that it's now got to a thousand? Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, um, I think Jack Wilson's done an incredible job with it. Um, the yeah, the the community of members we've got um, commenting our stories and interacting with each other and people sharing our pieces and saying, you know, this is this is great journalism. It's really nice to see, um, especially when you consider like what a different position we were a year ago. So, um, yeah, fantastic. Huge news to the Post. Very proud of, of Jack and obviously Sophie and Harry and, and everyone else who's been a big part of it. Very proud of you because you, you got the whole thing off the ground. I think oh, we went from like you. 150 to 450 members in like three months, mainly because we were quite like yeah. clear about what we we're trying to do, clear about the echo and what their efficiencies are. Um, and it's massively taken off. So now it's a big success. And some of the journalism they're putting out on the Post now is like, Really, really good. So, it's unreal, yeah. So congrats to everyone uh, on our Liverpool team. Um, I'm off to Vienna next week uh, to speak at a conference, to talk about the mill, talk about local journalism. Um, cool to be going to that. It's an international like uh, journalism conference. 
Um, I think it sort of shows the fact that we're getting invited and stuff like that, that does show that we're not only like doing some good journalism in Manchester, but I think we're also providing a good example for how this kind of thing can be done, like in, across the country, obviously across the world. Um, so it'd be interesting to meet people at like that, spread the good news about what we're up to. Um, and your story that you're writing about Oldham, that's going to be coming out this weekend. Yeah, it is. So look out for that. Nice. What other things, apart from reading that story, what other things can people do um, this weekend? You've got a couple of recommendations there. Yeah, so um, happy Eid, first of all, to all our listeners and readers who celebrate. Um, so on Friday from 12 until 4, there's free tea, um, pays you for lunch with vegetables made from the allotment of Platfield Market Garden. Oh, nice. They're a wonderful community group who um, grow fresh food, vegetables from their allotment and provide little barbecues and community meals every week or so. Nice. Um, I think that would be lovely if the weather holds up. Um and we had one recommended by a mill ma- member called Graham George Marshall. And that's on Saturday night at Hayward Civic Centre. It's a Rochdale Music Society concert, which he describes as a feast of Baroque and Romantic periods music performed by the excellent French pianist Patrick Omenier. So yeah, that, should be fun. That sounds really good. I went to Hayward last weekend to go look around that antique store. Oh, is that where you got the shelf? Um, I think it's called Woodland Creations. Yeah. yeah. That's where I got the shelf. It's got one of those chairs over there. Nice. And um, it's kind of in like a disused mill. It's one of those ones where if you find like a seller on Facebook Marketplace, sometimes you can go to their little like room or you can go to their little warehouse. It was one of those. So I'd highly recommend going there and also to the little antique shops in Palesworth. Um, Just head north out of Manchester and you'll find all sorts of good old furniture options. That is all from us this week. Molly's first ever podcast has gone swimmingly. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Um, Loved all of that. Um, we're going to have Daryl back uh, next week. You won't have me next week because I'll be at this um, Vienna thing. I think I'll be giving the talk at roughly the time that um, we record. But um, you'll have you'll have a cup of the team on. And um, thank you so much for listening. If you're interested in um, supporting us, uh, please go to manchestermill.co.uk forward slash subscribe. If you want to read Molly's reporting on the, on the Fiddler's Green, you are going to have to subscribe because that's coming out on, as, a, as a member on Tuesday. Uh, Molly's reporting on Oldham's coming out on the weekend. It's a very Molly-focused week on the mail. Thank you so much for listening, and um, we will see you next week. See you next week.